Praise the Lord, everyone. While you're standing, if you'll turn with me to the book of John, chapter 1. I'll begin reading verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh unto the world. He was in the world. The world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. I'm sorry, beginning in verse 4. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, where it goeth, or so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. And for a few moments tonight, I want to speak to you about the power of the Word. Lord bless you, you, may be seated. Before I begin tonight, again, let me say what a great honor it is to be home. I came a whole lot further to church than any of you. <laughs> I got up at 3 o'clock this morning, drove to the airport, catch a plane from Sacramento to here, and it's just good to be home. I'd do it any time. There's no place like home. Uh, I I was at a men's conference in California this last week, and I have been at a lot of men's conferences over the last 10 or 15 years, and I will have to say that was probably the most powerful experience I've ever seen in my life. It's probably the largest one I've been to in a long time. Uh, the house was full, and men were hungry, which says that we're in a time in life when people are fed up with the ordinary and they're looking for something to make a difference in their life. I don't know how many men got the Holy Ghost there during that men's conference. I know uh, Thursday morning, or Friday morning, there were at least two that had never been in a Pentecostal service before that received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And there was just an incredible move of God. And while I was there and... 
Brother Morgan was speaking at one of the services. He he touched on John chapter 1, and it just began to trigger so many thoughts. And on the way to the airport and on the plane ride home here today, my mind started going back over these scriptures again. And so I, I want to try to share them with you. When John writes his gospel, as I said Wednesday night, this is the last book of the Bible. It's the end. Acts has happened. Um, Luke has already written a book of Acts. So all of the other books are present. And John is writing to a different world. When John is writing to the church, when, when the church first began and they began to preach, they were preaching to a Jewish congregation, and they were preaching to Jews. And on the day of Pentecost, there were about 3,000 Jews that received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Shortly thereafter, 5,000, and then the church began to explode. But by the time John arrives, there are 100,000 Greeks and Romans to every Jew in the church. So the church has become totally outnumbered by the Roman world and the Greek world. So in writing to the church about God, he, he's trying to write and reach the world of his day and not go into Judaism to do so. So he, he goes back to a philosophy that started in Ephesus that began at somewhere around 565 A.D. By, or B.C. by one of their famous philosophers that began to teach that God consisted of his ability to speak or word or, and reason. And these are the two characteristics that made God who he was. So John, understanding, he's now the pastor of that church at Ephesus, and understanding what is happening at Ephesus and the history of this city sees that there's an incredible analogy here. And so he uses their thought about the word, the logos, the, the, the reason and the power of a spoken word. And he uses that to describe the incarnation of Jesus Christ. He said, in the beginning was the word and the Word, the Logos, was God, and it was with God. The same was in the beginning, and it created all the world. It created everything that exists. And then, he says, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld, we saw His glory. It wasn't a dream or a vision or an imagination. I saw with my eyes the the glory of God. And when he uses the term glory here, it's in reference to the Old Testament tabernacle when the Lord would come down and cover uh, the, the tabernacle and the Day of Atonement, and they would describe that glory as the Shekinah glory of God. And it is a light that is light from inside of itself. It's like the sun shining. It's not light shining on something. It's light radiating from something. And so he said, we beheld his glory, the light of the glory of God, as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And he has allowed us to become sons of God. He's allowed us to enjoy a relationship that if we ever really discover how powerful that relationship is, there is nothing 
are no place we cannot go in God. There's not a problem too big we can't overcome or we can't conquer. There's no conditions that happen in life that cannot be solved if we really understand the power of what we really have. And so he's, he's describing to his world the, the power of Jesus Christ and that he was God in flesh. And then as he begins to show his, his authority over nature, that he can speak to water and it become wine, and, and he can spit on the ground and take mud and put it in the eyes of of a man who's never seen and give him eyesight, create eyeballs that didn't exist. He became the creator of the universe. But then there come a man called Nicodemus, and Nicodemus wanted to know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus begins to speak to him, and he says to him uh, that there are some things you need to do. You, You must be born again. And Nicodemus began to struggle with the words that Jesus was saying to him. He said, how, how can that be? I'm, I'm an old man. How can I enter the second time into my mother's womb? That's, that's not a possibility. And Jesus said, you're, you're a rabbi. You should understand what I'm talking to you about. It's, it's been evident in the Word from the beginning. You just didn't understand the importance of the Word. The, the Word is always pointed to this point. You should understand this. I'm not speaking of you being born physically again. That's not what I'm speaking. He must be born of the water and of the Spirit. And then he gives this illustration. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof. The wind. The word wind that's used there is pneuma, which it should be translated spirit. The Spirit bloweth. Where it listeth. The, the spirit blows where the noise is. When you hear the noise, you know that there's a wind blowing. Or, or when you hear the words, you know that somebody has spoken. That, that wind was necessary to even produce the words. And once the words have been spoken, thou hearest the sound thereof. And he uses a term here that I want to spend a little time talking about tonight because it's really the crux to what I want to speak to you. He, the term or the Greek word that's used here, the, the Hebrew idea of word is incredible. Th- their language has less than 10,000 words. The Greek language has 200,000 words. The Hebrews thought that words were so important you just didn't need a whole lot of them. So words had this incredible power. When when Isaac spoke a blessing on Jacob, he couldn't take it back. No matter if it had happened in deception, it was in place, it was permanent. Scientists tell us that our words technically never die. The the, the sound wave, the wave, it may diminish in amplitude and get smaller, but the wave never disappears. So every word ever spoken in time, is still in existence as of today. There's nothing more powerful than a human word. The the human word has the power to build up. It has the power to tear down. It it has the power to cause chaos. It has the power to bring peace. It has incredible abilities if, if we just learn how to use it correctly. But the word of God is even more powerful than our our, our spoken words. God's word, his, his voice in our life gives us 
an ability to do things that we had never had before until he came into our life. When Jesus says that thou hearest the sound thereof, that Greek word is phone. And if you take the Greek accents off of it, it's phone. Thou hearest the phone, the phone, the sound thereof. We get our word phonics from it. How, how do you know that a person has received the Holy Ghost? Because there is a, there are phonics involved. There's a sound that happens as a result of, of the infilling of the Holy Ghost. There, there's words that happen when the Holy Ghost comes into a person's life. It's, it's God speaking through man. Andrew Newberg has proven by his research that when you speak in tongues, the language center of your brain doesn't work. So it's, it's not your brain telling your tongues how to, how, how to form words or produce words. It's God taking over a body. And, and, and God taking over this human body. He, he has the ability then to allow us to speak in a language, it's, it's the, the phonics or the phone, the sound starts happening. And Jesus said on the day of Pentecost or that this sound would happen. And on the day of Pentecost, the sound happened. Now, Luke didn't have this scripture to refer to when he wrote Acts. John is defining how Acts came about. It was Jesus speaking to Nicodemus and explaining to Nicodemus that you better be, you've got to be born of water, which is baptism. You're not buried in the name of Jesus. You just got wet. It requires a name. Father is not a name. Son's not a name. Holy Ghost is not a name. The Greek language, the word, or, or the article, the, is very emphatic. It means the one and only. So when you say the name, it's the one and only name. The name of the Father is Jesus. Jesus said, I come my Father's name. The Son's name is Jesus. Jesus said, I'll send the Holy Ghost in my name. So the name of the Holy it's all Jesus. So if you're buried in that name, that's the water part. And then the spirit part is when you begin to speak in tongues. There's a change. You have now become a son of God. And I don't think we really understand sonship. I am now a child of God. And his voice or his phone speaks through me. And now I have the power to resonate and speak what God speaks. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh, and it dwelt among us. Not only did the Word dwell among us, now the Word dwells in us. And now that the Word is in us, we now have this incredible power and ability to do things in life that we never had before. Your life sometimes can cause terrible things to happen. And, and people's lives can be damaged by others. And sometimes they're intentional, sometimes they're unintentional. But they're still damaged. Sometimes the damage of what people do is so destructive to our lives that it's very difficult to get over it. You see, 
the human mind doesn't have the ability to race things. There's no selective amnesia. You can't rub memories off. So when memories happen, if there, if, if there was pain involved or laughter involved, either one of those two, they're permanently etched in the brain. They're, they're etched greater by those two than any other thing in life. And so they're there. And, and, and they, they're a reminder of, of what life's done. And, and sometimes they have the ability to control us and, and dominate our lives and do things to us or cause things to happen to us that we don't understand. Often, because of, of the struggles that life has produced, people become victims to the event, and they have nightmares about it. They dream about it. The, uh, for just when they're trying to do things, those thoughts become prevalent, and, and, and they invade their time and, and their space, and they often don't seem to have the ability to even get rid of them or get them out of life. It would almost appear that there are things that are beyond our ability to ever get over, but that's not true. The power of the Word, the sonship that He allows us to participate in, it has the ability to do things that you and I don't even really understand how they even work. How is it that, that I can simply ask God's forgiveness and He just erases everything in my life? That, that's hard for the human brain. Paul said, I, it's, it's difficult for the, the mind, the brain, to comprehend the depth of your love and the breadth of your love and, and to understand the, the riches of who you are. That's difficult for us to understand. Here's a God that has never existed in time, still doesn't exist in time, but yet we exist in time and, and, and we're stuck in this thing called time. But God is in your past, present, and future at the same time because time don't exist to God. If he's where I'm at and where you're at at the same time, time don't exist. So if he's everywhere at the same time, time has no definition. He's timeless. And because he's already in tomorrow before you get there, and not only is he in tomorrow, he's already in your past after you've been there. He is the only one who has the ability to reach into our lives and start doing some things for us that nobody else can. Several years ago at camp meeting, pastor approached me at the altar one night and said, I, I have a family in my church I really need you to talk to. I said, all right. When I get home next week, if you'll have them call me, I'll be glad to talk to them. So the next week, I got a phone call and set up a session. And I agreed to meet them at night. They both worked, so that was the only time that they could that they had available. And so... Seven, eight o'clock on Tuesday night was usually the time I would meet them. And so I, I, I meet them the first time. When they walk into my office, there's this giant. He's probably 6'2", 300 plus pounds, filled the whole door. Huge guy. His neck probably was 21 inches, if it was anything. Massive. Just huge. And beside him is this little lady about five foot tall that may have weighed 80 pounds soaking wet. Tiny little lady. And they come in and sit down. And, you know, he, he, he covers the chair. He's, he's just big. He's not really fat. He's just big. And, and, and she takes her chair and pushes up 
against the wall. There's the desk I'm sitting at had a bookcase on it, and, and she actually disappeared. I can't even see her. She's hiding behind the bookcase. And so we talk and end of a conversation. Um, as we were starting to leave, the husband said, it, it might be better if you talk to us, to us separately um, if we're ever going to fix this. And so next time I talked to both of them separately. And in the next couple of days or weeks, I, I discovered a young lady that had encountered such horrible abuse that it's hard for the human mind to even comprehend. The fact that she's got a sane mind is a miracle. She has two siblings in a mental institution as a result of what they encountered growing up as kids. There were seven children. Dad abused all of them. One daughter had a child by dad that was so deformed that the child was placed in an institution and mother lost her mind and is now in that same institution. Just abuse that, that my brain can't even comprehend. When, when she'd tell me stories, I, I, I had a real difficult time even believing them, that, that humans could be that terrible. He, he told me one day, he said, if her back looks like a spider web. She's been tied to a clothesline and been beat with a whip, and her back has scars that make her look like she's got a spider web on her back. Just horrible abuse and terrible abuse beyond my ability to even understand. Sad part of it is mom and dad are backslidden Pentecostals. And dad's drunk. And after his issues with church and falling out and, and, and going to live, uh, they they left where their home was. They grew up in southern Missouri, wound up in Mississippi, and got far away from home. But his alcoholism started controlling his life. And drunk, he was an evil man. When he wasn't drunk, he was a good guy. But when he was drunk, he was incredibly evil. Local church started sending a Sunday school bus around to their house. They lived way out the edge of town. And so they started taking these seven kids to Sunday school. As they were bringing them to Sunday school, she discovered that church was a really safe place. Of the seven kids, she's the only one kept going. But that was her hour to two hours, sometimes three hours of escape from the world she was living in every week. So they came by every Sunday and picked her up. When she was 12 years of age in Sunday school, they taught about the Holy Ghost. And the story was Nicodemus, the one I just read to you. And as they were teaching about Nicodemus and what Jesus said, and the Sunday school teacher took on the book of Acts, the fulfilling of, of what Jesus said to Nicodemus, she said to the teacher, do you think I could get the Holy Ghost? And the teacher said, absolutely you could get the Holy Ghost. She said, well, can I get it today? And the teacher said, well, of course you can get it today. She said, well, I want it right now. The teacher said, just raise your hands and start thanking the Lord. And she raised her hands, and just a matter of moments, she's speaking in tongues. She goes on that day and tells her parents that she's got the Holy Ghost. And mom says, she gets real angry, says, no child of mine is going to Pentecostal church. That's not going to happen. And dad says, I'm the boss of this house. You can't tell nobody here what to do. If she wants to go to church, she can go to church. My word is law. So she got to go to church. That night she was baptized. The pastor and his wife started picking her up and taking her to church on Sunday morning and Sunday night. 
Now she got to go twice instead of once. Sixteen years of age, she comes home from church to find Dad in one of his drunken stupors. And when she walked in the doors, for some reason, he's, he's incredibly angry, and he becomes violent, and he beats her to a bloody pulp. He beats her so severely, it took three months before she could go to school because her face was, and body was so distorted from the beating that she couldn't even go to school. And Dad says, you're never going back to Pentecostal church. She called her pastor and said, what do I do? He said, the Bible says, honor thy father and mother. It doesn't give us any conditions. It doesn't say if they're good or nice. It says honor them. So you've got to do what mom and dad say. And so for two years, she's not allowed to go to church. On a Friday, about six months after not being allowed to go to church, she called her pastor and said, Pastor, can you get me a key to church? The pastor said, sure. Why? She said, because I, I want to come to church on Friday. I, I have all of Friday afternoon off. I only have one class in the morning. And I can walk there in probably 20 or 30 minutes, and I want to clean the church. And then I'll walk back to school and go home. My parents will never know I've been to church. So the pastor brought her a key to the church at school, gave it to her. Fridays, she'd get out of class, she'd walk to church, and she'd spend several hours cleaning the church. I talked to this pastor who eventually become one of the directors at Foreign Missions, and I asked him about it. He said, Brother Hughes, my church was cleaner when she was taking care of my church than it was ever when anybody else took it. was spick and spick. He said, you could eat off the floor. It was so clean. After she cleaned the church, she'd go get a songbook, put it on the platform. She'd go up and stand at the pulpit, open the songbook, and start singing the songs. She said, I didn't even know how, what keys they were in. I didn't even know if I was singing them right, but the words looked good, and so I just sang whatever was on the words, made up my own tunes. Then she'd get a Bible, she'd open it, and she'd read from it. After she got through reading the Bible, she'd close it, and then she'd go stand at the altar, and she'd pray. And she had her own church. For the next year and a half, she did it every Friday. Her senior year in high school, she was given multiple opportunities to go to college because uh, she was valedictorian of her class. And she had all kinds of, of, of opportunities, but she kept turning them down. She went to work for a judge taking care of his house. And during that summer, he saw her one day. She came in, and he, he started talking to her. What are you going to do when you get out of school? Everybody knew who she was and what she could do in school. And her academics were incredible. What are you going to do when you get out of school? She said, well, I don't know. Well, you need to go to college. Well, yeah, but. See, Dad said, you're never getting away from me. I'll never turn you loose. You're going to be mine for all your life. And she, she knew there was no escape. So she said, no, I, I think I'm going to wait. One day she came in. The judge had papers on the table. And she said, come here. She walks over to the table, and he says, I talked to the president of Mississippi State University, and he has given me all the classes that are going to be available next fall, and uh, you can fill out all the paperwork right now. You can take any class. You have the pick because nobody can sign up before. You're going to be the first one in all these classes. You get to sign up for everybody. She said, oh, I can't do that. He said, no, no, don't argue with me. Whatever class you'd like to take, if you could go to school next year, fill it out. So she filled it out, knowing 
I can't get away. Two weeks later, she gets back to the judge's house and walks up, and, and there's a sheriff's car in the driveway, but that's quite often, and so she didn't think nothing of it. She goes in, judge and sheriff are sitting at the table talking, and he calls her in and says, come in. And so she walks into where he's at, and he, he says, uh, we're taking you to college today. She said, oh, no, I can't do that. He said, no, we're taking you to college today. You're going to school. Well, I'm not sure about, no, you're going to school. Well, I'm not packed. We're going to pack for you. They went and got in the sheriff's car, drove out to their home. The sheriff walked up, knocked on the front door of the house. When Dad walked up, he took his nightstick and tapped him on the head a couple times and said, Sit down, sir. Two deputies stood on either side of him. Two more went in her bedroom, took out all her clothes, put them in a cardboard box, put them in the sheriff's car, and drove her to college. And she escaped. As the sheriff's walking out the door, he tapped Dad on the head a couple times. He said, Sir, you listen to me. If I ever hear you've ever done anything this little lady again, your life is worthless. Do you understand me? Your life is worthless. So if I was you, I would leave her alone. And she escaped. Wound up at college. Wanted to go to church, but didn't know where to go. Got a phone book out. Flipped it open. Found the listing for the churches and started going through them. Started at the top. She went to that church. No, this is not it. Next service went to another church. She could go to three churches a week, Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night. So she started going through them. You know, the, the U is a long way down in that list. And finally, she found the United Pentecostal Church. And she walked into that service that Sunday night. And when she walked through the door, she said, yep, this is it. This is what I've been looking for. And walked in and sat down, and she said, Brother Hughes, all they did was say, let's stand and pray, and I was on my feet running the aisles. Those people thought I was crazy. I hadn't been in church for so long, and I had an opportunity to be in church, so it didn't matter what nobody thought. I didn't care if what they looked or thought about me. I was running the aisles, and, and they just, they, they, all they had to do was mention worship, and I was up doing it. And, and I, she said, I'm sure they got tired of me, but I had been so long without church, I had to get all of church I could get. She got married. Graduated from college in three years, valedictorian again. Got married, moved out to another state, wound up here, became a school teacher. Then started having flashbacks to all that stuff Dad had done. When she started telling me the story, I'm not going to go into it. It was horrible. Things Dad did. She did have some incredible visitations. During that two years, she couldn't go to church. Got really bad one time. She said, God, I need to know that you even know I exist. Would you just please let me know you're aware that I exist? And she said, that night, I awoke about 2 o'clock in the morning to a presence in my room. She said, I was terrified at first, but then I heard a voice. The voice said, don't be afraid. It is I. She said, I knew who that was. She said, the lights come on in my room. She said, Brother Hughes, there stood the Lord Jesus and two angels. And she said, I danced with angels till I was so exhausted I fell on the floor. She said, Brother Hughes, people think I'm crazy when I tell my story. Do you think I'm crazy? 
you think I've lost my mind? I said, honey, if the Lord can take Philip and translate him across a desert and put him beside an Ethiopian eunuch and he's hundreds of miles away, he can show up at your house with some angels, angel and young have church. I, I believe you 100%. She said, he was always there to let me know that, that he knew where I was at and what was going on in my life. It took a long time to get her to trust me enough to tell me. On Tuesday night, I think it was in the month of February, we were sitting at our table. Her husband's outside. I can see him through the glass door, and she's sitting in front of me. And she starts weeping and sobbing hysterically. I hadn't said anything. It just erupted. And the, the more she sobbed and wept, she lost control. And... She is so hysterical that mucus is running out of her nose down onto the tabletop like a little kid. And she's crying uncontrollably. This little voice starts talking. It's terrifying. The hair on the back of my neck stood up. This, this little child starts speaking to me, and this child says, Please don't tear my house down. This is the only safe place I have to live. Please, please don't tear my house down. I'll never be safe. I had learned some things in college that I thought was a little weird, but I discovered they weren't that day. See, God created people to survive, and when it gets bad enough, you can create a world to live in that protects you from the junk. You can escape. You can be somewhere else. And she had learned how, when it got so bad and the violence was so horrible, she could escape in her mind and be somewhere else. And that little child held the key to all that junk because that was her when the beating started. And I said, I know what your problem is. And she said, what? And I told her. And she said, yeah, but people think I'm possessed. Her pastor told me she's the greatest prayer warrior I've got. If the Lord tells her there's something about your life, and she tells you the Lord spoke to her, you just write it down. He did. She's never missed. She's my most spiritual person in my church. Next week she came back. Said, Brother Hughes, the Lord was, I was praying. The Lord said the answer to my problem was found in Romans chapter 8. You need to go home, read it, and you need to find out how to help me. So that night I went home, read Romans 8. I reread Romans 8. I couldn't find an answer. So the next night I got my... Greek text out, and I started translating. And as I started translating Romans chapter 8, and I got down to verse 26, I discovered the answer. Paul said, The Spirit helpeth my infirm. Likewise, the Spirit helpeth my. You say that says our. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Every letter in the New Testament, every epistle, is written in the plural form. It does no injustice to translate it singular so that it's to you. Every one of those letters can be written to you personally if you want them to. Ephesians didn't even have a name in it. It had a blank. Anybody could put their name in the book of Ephesians. So every one of them, you can write personally. So you can translate that instead of, likewise the Spirit helpeth my infirmities. That word infirmity means lack of strength, problem, any kind of issues in life. It can be health issues. It, it, it can be 
life issues. It can be mental issues. It doesn't matter what the issue is. It's, it's a weakness of any form. Likewise, the Spirit helpeth my infirmities. For when I know not what I should pray as I ought. The Spirit maketh intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Phone The word help us is a word picture. There's a wall across this room, floor to ceiling. You can't get around it, can't get over it, can't get under it. Something's driven through that wall so far you can't even get a hold of it. The literal translation means to take hold on the other side. God knew that there would be things in life that could affect us in such a way we would think we could never get over them. But he gave us a key to get past any problem, no matter how difficult or no matter how hurtful that event was. Intercessory prayer is that phone, the sound Intercessory prayer is God's tool that will allow us to heal from no matter what life has done or what life has produced. It's, it's learning how to get caught away and heal. When you don't know what to say and you don't know how to say it, God knows what to say and God knows how to say it. And when you and God can get connected through the power of the spoken word, when you're speaking in his language, you're speaking his words, and the spoken word in his language gives you the ability to heal from no matter whatever life has produced. We are not at the mercy of life. God can't stop people from doing things to other people. If he does, he violates their will. God has never let one terrorist do terrible things to other people. That is not the will of God nor an act of God. Human beings choose to be evil. It's a human's choice to hurt somebody else. God hadn't let it. God's not punishing somebody. Somebody doesn't deserve it. It's just humans being evil. God said, no matter how evil your world gets, no matter how bad things get around you, I'm going to make sure that you're never affected by it. I'm going to give you a remedy. It's the Word. It's the spoken Word. It's the Holy Ghost in our life. It's when the Word became flesh and, and dwelt among us. And now the Word dwells in us. And that Word dwelling in us knows where every one of those details are in my life. It knows where every hang-up's at. It knows where every issue's at. It knows where every problem is at. It doesn't matter what it is. It knows. And the moment I can connect, there's nothing I can't do and no problem I can't overcome. Your Holy Ghost is more than just Something to fill you. It's the power of God that gives you sonship. Now you're a child of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he doesn't allow an enemy just to wreck your life and destroy it. He doesn't allow the world to destroy you. He's made sure no matter what life does, there's a way to get past it. There's a way to overcome it. There's a way to get past all the junk. See, in Paul's and John's day, they, they, 
the world was doing this to the church on a regular basis. They're, they're tying them to poles and setting them on fire. They're turning them to lions. They're watching people be destroyed. They, they live in terror. Paul in his writing says, I, I, every day my, I live my life on a daily basis in terror of death. But the Holy Ghost was their key. The Word that became flesh now dwells in us. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was the spoken Word of God empowers me to speak into my world and change it. Please stand. Gracious Father, thank you for your incredible presence that you allow us to feel. Lord, I want to thank you for going to a cross giving your life for my sin so that my life could be free, so that you could come and live in my heart. You could take up residence in my life. Thank you for the Holy Ghost that you've allowed to live with inside of me. I thank you for its peace and safety that it brings. I, I thank you for every opportunity that it has given me. Lord, I, I pray today that our hearts would not be afraid, that our minds would not be terrified. We wouldn't be afraid to open our hearts, invite you in and say, Jesus, take me by the hand. Walk with me through life to whatever door I may have locked up because of the terror that's behind it. It's been causing me problems in sleep. It's been causing me problems and apprehension and panic and all kinds of other issues. But God, I, I pray that you'd take me to that door and you'd help me release what's there and recover from the chaos that life has produced. Thank you for your spirit that we feel. In Jesus' name. Would you like to reach out to him for a moment? He's here. I don't care what life may have done. There's a way out of where you are. There's a way out of where you are. If I can just get caught away in Him and I start praying in His Spirit and I start speaking His language, it allows Him to address every need of my life that needs to be addressed. It allows Him to heal whatever need of my life there is. It allows Him to step into my life and bring an incredible difference and change. But He can't do it without my permission. But when I get caught away in His presence and His Spirit, then there's nothing that can keep me. There's nothing that can control me because His Spirit is in charge and His Spirit knows where the needs of my life are. There's no, nothing more powerful than that Word that lives within inside of us. The Word of God that became flesh. The reason of God that became flesh. The Word of God that now lives in my life gives me an ability to heal from things that have tormented me. I, I don't have to be controlled by them any longer. I can be totally free. Would you let him in tonight? In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Heal hearts today, Jesus. Heal hearts today, Jesus. There's none like you. 
Barabakaha, Kiorabakaha, Yandarabakaha.